From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm talking to poet and placemaker Jewel Rogers. We're talking about community intervention, placemaking, and making space for big ideas in Omaha. The goal, though, is to be an example of a landowner who does more with their vacant space, who provides community benefit in the interim of whatever it is they're doing or wherever it is they're going, to take their space and make it accessible to the community in a way that really enriches the community. I'm from North Omaha and everybody knows it, and so I feel very passionate when I'm, when I'm talking about it, when I'm talking about creating spaces that enrich and empower our neighborhood and start to change the rhetoric around what North Omaha is and looks like or should look like. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. Today I'm talking with Jewel Rogers, a poet, artist, and placemaker from North Omaha. She was a Buffett Scholar at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and went on to receive a Master's in Real Estate Development from New York University. She was nominated for Best Performance Poet at the 2022 Omaha Entertainment and Arts Awards. Her multi-sensory poetry collection, Wax Over Water, received a Populous Fund grant in 2023 through the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts in New York. And she's a 2023 fellow at the Union for Contemporary Art in Omaha. Rogers is a youth poetry coach at Culture House with the Nebraska Writers Collective. She also founded Placemade, a resident-led group creating community spaces on vacant lots in North Omaha. Here is my conversation with Jewel Rogers. When we first met, we were collaborating with Think and Nightcaps back in the day. And we were both really just kind of getting into community spaces and how do you curate conversations. Was that the first time that you started to kind of create spaces for conversation? Yes, it was. Where did that come from? I have no idea. Uh, It came from an intuitive space and interest in uh, think an uh, interest in understanding what other people were thinking about and trying to see if I was also thinking what they were thinking about and if there was some crossover there and you started that in Lincoln mm-hmm. or it was kind of traveling in different cities yeah it was moving throughout Lincoln and at the time I was on my way to moving to Omaha and so the last one ended in Omaha it was just traveling with me I suppose I want to know, kind of going back to think or back to when you first started doing all this intentional work in your community, what was the thing that kind of inspired you to act? Slam poetry. People were talking about very intense things in slam poetry, as one does. As one does. As a slam poet. And it ends after a performance. You get off stage, you go home, people clap, etc. I guess there was more to be said, there was more to be discovered, more than just the quick, that was a great job. What else, what else are you feeling? What else are you experiencing? Tell me in what way this piece moved you or was valid for you so that I understand that these things that I'm talking about isn't just another art piece, it's real life and it's something that we can work toward together. So you've always been a poet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like as long as I've known you, you've always been a poet. And then you just kind of took all of that and were like, let's act now. And how do we kind of continue that conversation? Um, 
from there. So then how has that kind of developed from that moment until now? Because now I feel like you have your hand in a lot of kind of baskets, um, working on different projects around the community. And so where did that, where has that journey kind of taken you? Well, I went off to grad school when I was in Lincoln and Think was happening, I was a community builder at South of Downtown CDO, which meant that I had a lot of conversations with people in my neighborhood about the physical changes and space that they wanted to see. And the another reason that Think came about because was because there was more than just the physical, there was also the social and the relationships that people were building in the space. And so when I went off to grad school, the unraveling of what it meant to create the built environment made a significantly more prominent impact on me. And, and that's kind of where I'm moving into now. A lot of the things that I'm doing right now are very heavy in the like physical environment. And I'm trying to think through how to communicate what I've learned in an artistic form to make what I've learned more accessible to people. And you went out to New York to do your continuing education, and that was in real estate. Yep, I got a master's in real estate development with a concentration in sustainable development from NYU. So through that sustainable development piece, did that program prioritize this third space making that you're currently doing? No, that had nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> okay, so what does that mean? <laughs> well, sustainable development focused mainly on like energy conservation mm. or better building materials, things like that. And this kind of third space creation kind of happened because of a thing because of a thing. I had actually I purchased a piece of property from the Omaha Municipal Land Bank and I had planned to create housing on it, but at the time I had just gotten into grad school and this was now COVID happening and I still wanted to buy the land and so I did, but I had to really scale down my idea and I thought, well, I'll put a park there. And I didn't fully comprehend the impact that would have until it was done. And I saw people using this space and realized how much joy it was not only bringing to myself, but to others to see people having a great time on this space. And that's when it kind of became a passion. And that's when I started to realize what was really happening, this third space creation. What is third space making? Um, I guess it's like the space between work and home, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, from what I've read, I think that's about it. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a technical definition, but you were using it and I was like, yeah, that. So taking a step back just from, from the beginning of that, what is, for people who don't know already, the Omaha Municipal Land Bank? I would say in simple terms, the land bank will take vacant spaces or abandoned spaces that maybe were previously in the city's ownership or something like that. And they will remove some of the expenses that would usually be incurred by an average everyday person to acquire that land so that you can then acquire it as a citizen much more affordably. 
So something that maybe would cost you $20,000 in back taxes and some other liens and stuff on the property, they'll clear all that and you'll pay like $5,000. It's actually, it really makes land acquisition significantly more accessible and I highly recommend it to anybody living in North or South Omaha because a lot of the properties are located there. So you acquired this land and you were about to go to grad school. And so then how did you just kind of start pulling together what this park was going to look like? I was working with my partner at the time, Nolan, who also has helped me with this other space. Like he's continuing to help me. He's also a designer and he's a builder himself. Mm. So we were just kind of thinking through what could happen. And he helped me design the park and he helped me build the park. Oh my gosh, you guys actually built the park yourself mm -hmm. too. Yes, with our hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your hands and your hearts. Yes. So then we're like the neighborhood kids, just like what you doing, and then what's happening here, and can I play on this? Can I stand on this? Can I touch this? How did you kind of explain to the community that this was a space for them? Two ways. The first one is I actually did door knock. So in the break of when I purchased the property, and then you know the summer happens or Christmas, I come home knock the doors and say, hey, what do you think about this? Is there anything that you guys want in this park? And they had some suggestions and Aww. concerns. And then I implemented that. And then fast forward to when we were actually building it. Yes, when you're on this space and people see you out there every day, digging the pathways and hauling dirt around and doing all that stuff, they're curious, what is going on? And is this for me? What are you doing? And people are always very surprised when they when they hear that it is for them. And they're like, yeah, I'm just building a park for us I'm like wow yeah that's so on by. sweet <laughs> yeah. so you've done this twice now yes and the first one was the park yes and then the second one just opened the summer yes can you tell us how this one is different and what are the names and where are these located sure so the park is on 24th and spencer it's called tiara park i named it after my cousin who passed away and this one is cadence corner and we named that after a young man who passed away who really loved skateboarding and was a friend of one of our partners blake harris from skate fest omaha and that's located at 3703 florence boulevard across from king science center in coons park and so were both of these spaces from the municipal land bank? Yes. And so as you started to build these, what? how did you go out and look for community partners as you've kind of been talking through this when you're like, oh, this partner had this? How did you get a cohort together who was all on the same mission as you and ready to go dig the dirt right alongside of you? Well, the first one, we had decided it was a park and we asked what one might want in the park. Mm. The second one, we were just listening to what people might want, period. And Nolan, my partner, had the idea to do a skate ramp. And I was like, <laughs> no, we don't need that. No way. And then I started listening and looking around and having, you know, just living my life. And it kept coming up like people were trying to do skate spaces and some of them were having a hard time doing it. And so I'm like, oh, this is actually in demand. People actually want this this is probably what we should put on the space. And so then we went forward and doing that. I don't skate. I just wanted to create something cool for the people. <laughs> so I reached out to someone who I thought could help me. A few people that I thought could help me because there's also um, Connie or Breton Gomez with Nebraska Skate Parks Council. 
they helped. So I asked him and I talked to Blake Harris and then we started moving forward from there. Blake was able to bring in a lot of incredible partners and a lot of incredible ideas. There's a mural on the ramp because Blake brought in the union. Um, there's there was a help with building because Blake brought in a builder um, to work with Nolan, who is also a builder. So, oh, my gosh. So everything just kind of fell into place for you. So exactly. Um, why these locations specifically when you were looking at the different properties within the bank land bank? It varies. I could talk about all these like demographics and geographics and this and that. But in reality, I liked how the first one felt on Spencer Street. It had a cute street tree in front it was a nice lot it was a little bit bigger than normal i thought that was a good a good spot the second one i realized that the lot was actually previously owned by a friend of the family mm. there used to be a home on that lot and he passed away and didn't have a succession plan and so eventually that went to the to the to the state and then it went to the land bank and I saw it on the land bank. I was like, hey, I know who used to be there. I want this one. <laughs> That's what happened. Bringing it back in. Yes. Bringing it back into the community. Yes. You're knocking on doors. Had you ever really knocked on doors before? Like, what was your intention to kind of, oh, yes, because you said previously you had the community building position. Yep. yep. So I was, I was okay with going and talking to random strangers. Honestly, I would practice that sometimes. When I first moved to New York, I was just talking to random strangers just to get my nerves out. What was some of the feedback you were getting and what were some of the challenges that neighbors were seeing or or people who wanted to make a skate park? What were their challenges? Honestly, the feedback was primarily all good. OK, that's great. It was great and actually very surprising. <laughs> um, initially, when we were on our first round of raising funds, half of it was citizen funded, like by the citizens of Omaha, which is very cool. When we posted it on social media, over 300 people liked, commented, and shared. And out of those 300, like three were like, we don't like this. And then I reached out to those three. And then from there, two of them were like, okay, actually, I like this. And then one was didn't respond. So it was like literally so much support. 99% of the people. 99% like of the people <laughs> were like, let's do it. I was like, great. This is great. That's what happened, yeah. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to poet, artist, and placemaker Jewel Rogers. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Talk to me about that community funding. I know a lot of people are, do different ways of community funding, but how did you do yours for these places? I was um taking notes from other people who were doing it successfully i have a really good friend named alagia mckesia and she does the juneteenth joy fest and i had recently seen her fundraiser packet and i was like <laughs> okay maybe this is what i need to like truly raise funds because the first park we did was totally self-funded and i was like that was lovely but that is not sustainable nope yes so <laughs> this way we kind of threw some strategy into it um and we reached out to the community and gave them a way to fund the project and they were able to you know support on venmo or support on paypal or we partnered also with one omaha and so they if they felt more comfortable that way they could donate straight to them and it would come back to us um, and then we also had sponsorships and partnerships partnerships, but primarily the other 
portions of our support came from other nonprofits. Like North Omaha Trail was our first funder. This kind of ties back into uh, a poem you did on TEDx Lincoln, where I was listening to this, but you can find it online um, for listeners. But you mentioned how if people round in your community rounded up to the next dollar, what you could do with that, keeping that money in your community. Can you kind of explain that idea to us? Because I was just like, oh my God, that is beautiful. So sweet, young Jewel, so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so this is actually a thing now, like bona fide happening across the country there in the form of real estate investment, like apps where you're all pulling your money and you get a return. Um, or it's also socially focused. So they have one that's for small developers who are trying to do like affordable housing or affordable retail space, things like that. But essentially you, you pull your money, um, you pull your money and it's almost like a, 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 you know, a unified fund. You get a return based off of the money that you invest. And depending on what you invest, it's marginal, but there are online resources for it. You, it's like, I don't know what else is it like i don't know it's like a groupon or you know <laughs> bulk buying yeah costco it is it is that's it's it's true that is pooling the money you pull the money i mean i don't know how to you know get any deeper than that because i haven't done a real estate investment before mm. that was crowdfunded in that way but at the time when I was giving that TEDx talk that is why I was on my way to New York I was like well I feel very strongly about real estate development I feel very strongly about the built environment in my community and I want to understand deeply how to make an impact in that way where did that come from junior year in high school I had a teacher named Lee Kallstrom who kind of let me run with stuff and I got an affinity for design. I developed a very strong interest in architecture. And at the time I thought I was gonna be an architect. And then I got an architecture internship and I was like, I'm probably not gonna be an architect. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I can still be involved in how projects happen. And so that's how I found my way to real estate development. I wanted to make beautiful spaces for people and I wanted to help people feel joy in a space. And you're doing that. Yeah. I am really glad you said that. Because I remember when we first <laughs> talked about having you on, I was like, how was the grand opening? Because I couldn't be there. And I want I want to hear kind of your response so cool. to that again. It was so awesome because I had seen so many people I had never seen before. And that was my, when it was happening in the moment, I was like, wow, I want to do more of this. And at that point, it wasn't even about the ramp it wasn't about the physical creation it was about the fact that the act had brought so many people that i had never even met or known together in a space just having fun and enjoying themselves that was incredible yeah and to see people just come out to enjoy time quality time with the people they love and then meeting other people that they could potentially love yes uh and so this is for all ages yes and are you going to learn how to skateboard I will continue <laughs> to attempt. <laughs> uh, I want to kind of get into more about economic growth within neighborhoods from your perspective. 
Uh, many cities, including Omaha, have been going through their fair share of gentrification, and some would argue that it brings economic growth to the neighborhood. But I want to hear from your perspective, um, based off of your knowledge, experience, um, what your idea of funding for development can look like from our own environments. Well, I have to preface this statement with the fact that there is a lot of red tape that I probably still don't even know about. You know, I had a really strong opinions about gentrification when I first started, when I being interested, when I first started even getting interested when I was in Lincoln and started thinking I should be learning more about real estate development. And I've realized now that just the way things are set up, growth or change or new things creates a new price to those things. Mm -hmm. Those are the facts of the case. So if you want a new building, if you want more housing, you are also bringing more value into the neighborhood. And so inevitably, your property taxes will be adjusted for that. Your the what we're charging in our housing, for example, will also be impacted by that. Construction costs, all project costs are supported by the income that a property is bringing in. So if your project costs more, you will be charged more without a subsidy or incentive or something. There's a lot of red tape. And at the time of that TEDx talk, I thought that the way around some of that red tape was to crowdfund or crowdsource our own developments to kind of come together as a community and create the things that we wanted to see. But it's a lot harder in practice to get such a massive scale of people together to do something like that on a grand enough scale to totally influence the trajectory of a community. I always wonder when different developments are happening, you know, sometimes I'll see community conversation around this. And there are community conversations, but I people aren't going out and knocking on doors like you you did with this project. They're maybe posting um, in the neighborhood association, but I don't I don't really know what the rate is for participation in those. And so I just wonder how can we and like you said, on a, on a large scale, it seems like a really big challenge. But how could we even in at a small scale get neighbors together to be participatory within that within, you know, raising, uh, like you said, the value of the neighborhood, but having stock in it and having voice in it that not just speaking words, but having a voice that's being listened to. Yeah. And I think that that I think a key part, even if we're not able to get to the utopian vision of the entire community owns and creates this development, having stock in it is also something too. Because at the end of the day, a lot of real estate development is for profit. And at minimum, we could engage in that profit sharing and that profit gathering by investing in the projects. I think there is something to that. And I think that alone is a small step toward what a lot of us ask for in these conversations that we're having. Have you seen any communities do that well or attempt to kind of do some stuff like that? I've seen a lot of people attempt, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Has it happened well? I'm not sure. 
that's kind of a a little a objective statement almost like I don't really know if it's going well. I know there was a woman in the Bronx named Majora Carter. She lives in Hunts Point and she was trying to crowdsource um, investment. I know there was a group in Philadelphia. I can't remember that. I think they're called Mosaic Development and they had also crowdfunded some developments in the area. But you know, it's so messy. <laughs> You know, I, I'm glad we're not live. You, I want because I've learned so much, and I feel like you know, initially when I was thinking about the concept, I thought to myself, "Oh, if we could all just pool our money." Well, now I've gotten a master's degree in real estate, and I work as a development development manager in a commercial real estate development company and i understand that there is a capital stack and of that capital stack a small of it is actual cash money from wallets and the rest of it is like loans and tax increment financing and all these things and it's just not as simple as like pulling the money and going forward there's so many things happening and so really when we're talking about crowdsourcing we're not talking about crowdsourcing 20 million dollars to do this building we're talking about crowdsourcing like 10 percent of that 20 million dollars to do the building mm -hmm. and then who manages that oh the well the real estate developer a developer would still kind of be part of the conversation with the community or mm -hmm. the crowdsourced funds. Yes, but think of Fabric Lab, for example, on 24th and Lake, like they are having these conversations and bringing community members in and asking them, what kind of housing typologies do you wanna see in your area? How are you feeling about what's next? What kind of services do you feel like you need? There, there are opportunities for developers to be more engaged with their community and then execute on what it is that they're asking for. And something in my gut tells me that that will make for a more successful development and a more vibrant community when people feel directly responded to when they're giving feedback. Do you know if they're seeing buy-in from the de from developers who are working in and around their community? I would say so, yes. I'm not very <laughs> Is that great? Okay, well, not I'm not I'm not very involved in and their next move, but I know it's moving and I know they're like deeply supported in the community and have a lot of great partners. I'm talking with Jewel Rogers about community, real estate and placemaking. Stay tuned for the rest of our conversation after this break. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher or whatever your favorite app is. My guest is artist and placemaker Jewel Rogers, a 2023 fellow at the Union for Contemporary Art and the founder of Placemade, a community group developing vacant lots in North Omaha for public good. Here is the rest of our conversation. Talk to me about your resident-led group Placemade. Have we been talking about what that does or is there more that Placemade does? Can you kind of explain what that looks like for you? I'm trying to grow it right now. I'm trying to grow it in a way that is deeper than what are your ideas about the next space and deeper than please help us maintain this space or help us lock the ramp up at night, <laughs> but to more so be like a collection of people who care for and respect each other and because of that reason are engaged in this work. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that but Placemade just started and there's like six of us right now and primarily we 
just help maintain the park and the ramp. But in the future, what I'm what I would love to see is if it became more broad and there was a lot more strangers and people that I didn't know in the group and there were a lot more ideas about what could happen next. So how do you start to bring these residents or community members around this idea? I don't know. I put out a call recently to get some ideas on how to do that, actually. <laughs> okay, so listeners. Well, we're thinking about maybe just starting simply with social gatherings and spreading the word by mouth. What do the social gatherings look like right now? I don't know. We haven't started them yet. We just finished our project, so we we don't even, we're just doing the things necessary <laughs> to keep the projects alive and keep the spaces maintained. But we want it to be something where you can be a little introverted and chill, or you can be extroverted and talk to somebody, you know, like a chill kickback, like a kickback on a Thursday night. It's relaxed. You don't have to think too hard about being there. You're welcome however you're showing up, something like that. So when you're not there, how do you set that tone for the environment? Exactly. Working on it. <laughs> I do not have all the answers. That's okay. Uh, do you drive by it a lot? Uh, by, by the two parks a lot? Or how often are mm -hmm. you there? Yeah, like once a week, once or twice. Well, for the skate ramp, I'm there at least four times a week. For the park, there's not a lot of like locking up daily needs. So, you know, like once a week maybe. Oh yeah. So yeah. are there generally like people who are ready to go right in the morning when you're unlocking? Initially, yes, there w were. I think they're starting to get the, the gist that it's gonna open around 8.39. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they have adjusted um, for that. But yes, people, it gets an incredible amount of use. A lot of people, all over the city have come to see it and just see because there's not a lot of mini ramps in Omaha, which I also didn't know. But what's the difference between like, I mean, I'm assuming a mini ramp is just a smaller ramp. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean by it? Okay. I don't know. Well, you know what? Look, I'm not the <laughs> professional. Okay. I just made I just helped make the space for the people. So, um, but I know that there's like a couple skate parks, a big situation, but there's not like a lot of mini ramps, like just like a back and forth ramp. And apparently that is a big deal, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what have you, what are the benefits that you've been seeing from having spaces like these, like Tierra Park and Cadence Corner? I think the benefit is that people have more diverse spaces to go to. The goal though, is to be an example of a landowner who does more with their vacant space who provides community benefit in the interim of whatever it is they're doing or wherever it is they're going to take their space and make it accessible to the community in a way that really enriches the community. I'm from North Omaha and everybody knows it. And so I feel very <laughs> passionate when I'm, when I'm talking about it, when I'm talking about creating spaces that enrich and empower our neighborhood and start to change the rhetoric around what North Omaha is and looks like or should look like. Had you seen this example other places before you kind of decided to do it yourself or was it just kind of a pivot from buying the original first piece of land? I saw it other places, but it never, I wasn't thinking of it that way. It was just something that I saw. It didn't occur to me what I was really doing until just now. Like 
until the 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 ramp and 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 meeting with people and collaborating with people and I was like oh this is that thing they're talking about oh here's these definitions for what's going on these third spaces and things I had seen it but it never crossed my mind that that's what was happening I was just doing a thing and then all of a sudden it was a group and now we're doing a thing and then now I'm like oh we're creating third spaces in North Omaha. But I think in Omaha, there's just not a lot of places uh, specifically that youth can go to and specifically places that you don't have to spend money to be at to exist in besides maybe public parks. Yeah, a lot of the older parks who have been around for a while, they don't necessarily, particularly in my area, because that's what I have the most experience with. They don't necessarily get that continuous TLC but I do have to give the philanthropic community their flowers because Jean Leahy Mall is looking right. It's looking good. Okay, uh, all the stuff that just ho- opened up at the riverfront, now people are skating, they bring in their roller skates out. I knew a lot of people who didn't have that space before, now they have it, they're there, so love to see it. So I think it's getting better. I, th- I know that there's gonna be some more investment in Adams Park, Adams Community Park, so that's awesome. So. I feel like things are moving in a great direction, but I do I have also experienced and seen the flip side where some things do get kind of left behind. And I do think a great example of that is Coons Park, which is literally across the street from the mini ramp. And I hope my goal, my hope is that this space inspires the growth of that space to include a skate space in their new investment in Coons Park. When you're out meeting people who are getting to experience these spaces, are you talking to them about these big ideas of private land owners creating spaces for the public? Well, I discuss it if they ask me about it, but I don't really lead with that. I usually am just talking and chatting it up and then people like, did you create this? It's like, yeah, we we did it. We helped. Yes. (laughs) But I don't really get into the private land ownership unless I'm talking to somebody who is asking about it or is adjacent to that realm. Otherwise, I'm just kind of hanging out and getting to know people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I guess I was just curious if other people have been interested to do something of the sort in their own community. Actually, yes. Yes. I know a couple people right now who have been like, hey, I want to do... There's a there's this girl named D Chambers. She's got she's getting a lot across from Hopeskate. She wants to do a mini apple orchard. There is Stop. not joking. There is another and could use a lot of support. There is another person um, who reached out to me and was just like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing one of these because this is awesome. Would you be open to helping?" I'm like, "Yes, I would." <laughs> so there, I, I think it is inspiring more people to step out and do it because it's not a small feat and it's hard to do if you don't have the back knowledge of all this stuff of the zoning and the little red tapes and the planning and the budget and the fundraising so yes that's really great it is inspiring more people to do it and that's exciting and then I'll talk all day once they you know open the door but usually I just saying hello what were your biggest challenges when you were kind of bringing this together Time management, 
Because you have still a, have a full-time I job? I have a full-time job. I have a full-time job. And then I was trying to perform. And then I had just gotten this fellowship at the union. And then I got the Populist Fund grant. And I was just doing all these things. And then also trying to manage the timeline and raise the funds and keep track of all the little receipts and the this and then that. Oh, time management. <laughs> but you popped off. But it, yes, it, 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 it happened. It happened. Are there any other examples of innovative initiatives that integrate third spaces that you hope to bring to Omaha? That I hope to bring to Omaha. I have so many ideas, but I realized after the second one that I don't want it to just be about my ideas. I want it to be about linking up with somebody and then we help each other's ideas come true. I had the idea of doing a in-ground trampoline lot like a couple just in-ground trampolines just chilling but I was like I didn't want it but I didn't want it to just be like a lot sitting with trampolines I wanted it to be like a community the way that the skate ramp is with skate fest like it just hits different so I got a lot of ideas sure but I think it's more so at this point about other people's ideas and about supporting them and supporting the community and creating what they want to see I feel like that's so much more important Okay, so let's get into a little bit more now because you have this whole other side, like your poetry side, which is what I first learned to love about the work you do. You make people feel empowered through your spoken word and you use it as a tool to support social intervention. Can you uh, dive a little deeper into what social intervention is in your own words and what your role is in that space? To me, social intervention is talking about the uncomfortable things and identifying where we start to connect. I think when I really first started, I was curious about connection with people who seem like very different from me or between people who seem very different from each other. I was always a person who was not quick to pick a side and always just kind of wanted to hear and listen and try to see things from all of the sides because I felt in my heart that in some way, shape or form, we were still probably connected or could still connect on something. And it's getting more and more uh, crucial to find those things that we connect with. Uh, dive deeper into where your focus has shifted as a poet over the last X amount of years you've been writing. Okay, I started writing in sixth grade. Shout out to Mr. Green. <laughs> I'm an adult now. His name is Tommy Green. Hello. Uh, <laughs> he was an awesome sixth grade teacher. And he gave us this assignment and we were supposed to do a poem. And then we did the poem and then I read the poem. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And it just kind of kept happening from there. And so in that young space, I was just kind of writing about stuff. You know, I hadn't lived much life then. I was in sixth grade, so I was, like, writing stuff that were inspired by movies and sometimes by my life, but also sometimes movies. <laughs> and then at, like, age 16, I started to get into architecture and the built environment, which then brought, like, a lot of, like, social issues along with it and economic issues and equality we all know the rhetoric and so that's what my poetry became about was speaking about you know these injustices or these things that i found to be difficult or hard or things that were related to race um in my community and now i feel like 
I'm much more focused on the individual. A lot of the pieces that I have right now are about individual resilience or about uh, being true to yourself or rising above or not limiting your thinking or your vision of where you think you can be. It's a lot more individual now. And I think that has a lot, I think that's deeply related into just how I'm progressing through life. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to poet, artist, and placemaker Jewel Rogers. Join the conversation on social media. You can follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. And you recently just spoke at the Riverfront Grand Opening. Mm -hmm. And that was with Luminarium. And you kind of mentioned that earlier about that development that's happening down there. And so how does it kind of feel to be simultaneously working on these public spaces, but also having these internal resilient poems? How do these interact with each other? Well, I think at first it was, I was looking outward and now I'm looking inward. I encouraged everyone to do the same, <laughs> to go back and forth every now and then. It was a lot. And you, when I think about it, I feel like I've heard a lot of like shared wisdom just out in the ether of like, if you want the world to be better, you have to be better. And like super cliche, <laughs> but actually facts. Um, you do. You do have to be a better person. And I think that the more that I grow, the more that I understand that I'm not going to be able to make anybody else's decisions but my own. And collective investment in my community would be great, but I can't make anybody do anything. But I can do whatever it takes to remain motivated and to not give up on my vision and my dream and to just keep going. That can be what I'm doing. And in that, that creates more opportunities for people to you know, kind of get on the boat. And if they don't want to, that's cool. They don't have to, but at least I'm being the most authentic version of myself and I'm not limiting my beliefs or my thinking based on how someone else is perceiving me. I am doing my own deciding of wherever I'm getting. And at least at minimum, I can say that I tried. So the focus is primarily on me just being me. The vision and dream that you're talking about, that you're going, that you've been discovering, what what does that end look like for you? Or not end, or process, journey. Yes, exactly. Because there was very much like an end in sight initially, and now I'm realizing that I kind of have to just be comfortable with what the two-year plan looks like. And if that changes, okay. Because, you know, I feel like I was hearing this even on a podcast. There's like people are like, what's your 10 year plan, your 10 year goals? And it's like, what's your five year plan, your five year goals? That's very long, actually. And a lot can happen in like 12 months. So actually, you know, bringing it down a little bit. And if you're being the most authentic version of yourself every day, you're likely not going to regret where you are two years from now because you know you've been true. Yeah, I feel like that takes up a lot of my brain space lately. Like thinking through how to be the truest version of myself in the midst of significant limitations in whatever form they manifest. Because I can't do or be everything in the midst of all these other things acting on me. There has to be like a bit of a compromise 
but the compromise shouldn't come from what you think you're capable of. It should literally Mm. come from you trying and failing and maneuvering and growing. And as long as you're moving forward, all these other things that are acting upon you, that's not in your control. But what is in your control is to show up and be you and be and be real. And because that's another thing that's taking up a lot of my brain space lately is like, when I'm 20 years older, but literally also tomorrow, like I don't want, I don't <laughs> want to me. think, yes, future me in all aspects. I want to be happy with how I spent my time. I am never going to get it back. So I don't want to waste it. And that takes a lot of learning because there's a lot of fear around that. Okay, so let's get into your work right now for the Union for Contemporary Art. Mm -hmm. You were one of their 2023 fellows. What was the project you applied with and how has that developed over this year? So the project I applied with is called Wax Over Water. And initially, hello. Initially, it was a collection of 20 pieces that were inspired by conversations with people, both individuals and in community settings. And the first half was supposed to be focused on sharing wisdom from women geared toward young girls up to the age of 25. The other half was supposed to be about real estate, about the built environment and about artistically communicating all of the nuance that I learned about in school and in work. As I'm building it out, right now it's heavily focused on the wisdom and not so much on the development. And I've already decided that that's okay. I'm pretty interested to see where it's going, but I I think it's gonna be really good. I'm actually very excited. And the people that I've been speaking to have been really pushing the project forward and just the things that they've been able to share with me. I've experienced growth in the process of just having these conversations with these people. And I've also just thought differently about how I wanted to create. You know, initially in my mind, I had this very set idea of it's going to happen like this on these dates in this way and this visual aspect and blah, blah, blah. And the more that I go forward, the more that it changes, but the more that I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful change. I'm actually really excited that I discovered that or that someone helped me discover that. It's going to be wonderful. I'm so excited. What wisdom would you give yourself back? I don't know. You can choose however many X years ago, but you kind of mentioned that these women are sharing for their younger future generation of women. What would you say? I hate to be so cliche, but... I'm just going to say it. Don't try to be grown. Be a kid. Be super into being a kid and enjoy the level of freedom that you likely won't know that you have until, you know, hindsight, right? But totally would be my number one thing. I feel like that theme of being a kid is just kind of also what you just described with this project of as I'm learning and growing and playing, I'm receiving all of these different things and I can be adaptive. I think as adults, we sometimes get into, this is how it's gonna be, this is the way it's gonna be. And it's expected. 
I mean, yes, and as adults, we have these timelines and we have these budgets and schedules and expectations and check-ins and deliverables. Like, it's a thing. <laughs> like, those exist. Those are real. And as a kid, it just does not hit the same in that way. And the repercussions are not as big, not as deep. Consequences do not hit the same. And you should just really enjoy that freedom, really. And that second, the second thing I would say is be happy. Like don't don't sit in a situation that you know is making you unhappy especially when you're young so why wax over water <laughs> because of the two concepts i was trying to figure out a way to talk about the two things and so the wax was the oh. built environment it was a lot more like it was diff more it was more difficult to make malleable unless you applied the pressure you know what i'm saying the heat um where water fluid you're always changing when do you present this or how is this going to be kind of released to the public? My goal is July of next year. I might do like a mini showcase later this year, but that's not even it. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I did not do that justice at all. Okay. Um, okay. So Wax Over Water is an audiovisual project. So it is both in a book form and it is also in video form, like audio visual, you see it. So it's meant to be a project that you can touch, see, feel. And the book itself is actually represented right now by photos. So I'm partnering with photographers in the Omaha area to bring forth visually the concepts that are in the poem. And then there's also an affirmation. At first, it was just going to be an affirmation that I created, but I've gotten so many great words from the women that I've been interviewing that Oof. it might just be like excerpts or quotes from them. And that's representative of the poem. You actually might be linking into the poem in the physical form from like a QR code or some other way that you can bring it like onto the headset from the book or then also just available online to hear anyway. And then, then you hear it and you see it. And then that's gonna be exciting too. And so is the poem your words or yes. is it a mix of pulling in those interviews and your words? Yeah, it was just gonna be my words and musicians because I was also Ooh. planning, I was planning on collaborating with Omaha musicians to like also create that vibe specifically for the videos. But again, the interviews have just been so moving that I feel like there is some intermixing that's happening that also acts as like skits or transitions like mm. the description of this collection of poetry that i read online says that you explore the intersectional and sometimes conflicting identities of yourself in what ways do your roles interact and conflict with each other because i'm in one body <laughs> going through these two very massive changes one just changes in my understanding of my capacity to influence the built environment and other just in changes in myself as a woman and they're happening at the same time and that was the conflicting reality and beyond that it was also like i used to be at the city council protesting a development not fully understanding what I was protesting, but knowing, knowing it wasn't affordable housing. So me and all my friends were up there and we were feeling away, <laughs> you know? I went from that period to 
being the person who is helping to create developments mm. and that that confliction yes how do you balance that i don't know if i am balancing it i feel like i'm just moving i you know what real estate development to my surprise <laughs> takes a long time and i don't even think i have gotten to the point yet where there is like a balance to reckon with mm. i feel like i'm still in the middle of it learning and moving around are there any projects that are coming up that you think we should be keeping an eye on that you've got your hands in no but if anybody wants to do a space together <laughs> that's absolutely <laughs> perfect i my next and last question was going to be that i'm just uh, consistently impressed with the breadth of your work for the community and people like you give a lot of yourself to everyone else. And so I wanted to ask you, what can the community give back to you? Very tangibly, like engagement in place made, being in a group in this group that helps to create and maintain community amenities as an interim solution to blight in North Omaha, joining that effort would be lovely and where can people find out about placemade and the upcoming kind of involvement that they can have through that they can reach out to me directly via my name on anything or residents of placemade is the instagram handle for our profile thank you for being here i'm so excited to see what else you do for the city of omaha thank you <laughs> Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Maria Corpus. <laughs>